What a joy and privilege it is to gather today in his presence. His presence is the series that we're in that I'm very excited to present to you today. Part two, his presence. Now, I failed to put in the theme verse in the slides, and I don't have that theme verse memorized, but First Chronicles 16.11, the phrase that was the target theme is, seek his presence continually. Now, we as a church at Verde Valley Christian Church have a purpose statement that the, the main nugget of it goes like this. We exist to help people take steps from wherever they are to where God wants them to be. Now, every one of us can take steps towards seeking his presence, and that seeking looks different for each one of us. Some people are at a place where they're not even sure they believe in God, much less what God has for them, and yet if you're here and you're not sure, you are taking a step. And steps look different for each of us. Some of us have been walking uh, in that effort to seek his presence with uh, regularity and for many, many years. And what step that is for each of us looks different. But we each have a step to take today. To seek his presence continually means today we have a step to take. And I want us to just kind of hold that thought as we enter into kind of filling in the foundational framework uh, around this theme as we back up to the beginning. But to set the tone, I want to tell you a story that took place just 17 years ago. It didn't take place here. It took place in a faraway country in a place called Bam. Bam, Iran. The year was 2003. This event took place just after five in the morning and it absolutely shook that country because an earthquake hit and Bam, Iran is an ancient city that is built in ancient methods with brick from mud. It's just this whole city is built that way and it was absolutely devastated. On December 26th, 2003, it rattled, it rolled, and buildings crumbled. Believe it or not, in an old ancient city, this brick city, made with hands, following no guidelines for safety. 90,000 people lived in the city at the time, and the death toll climbed up past 26,000, with 30,000 more injured. That's more than half a town of 90,000 people, devastated under the rubble of a brick city. And so news was, of course, going out across their whole country, and they were just reeling with despair as hours would go by, and rescue teams were all rushing in and helping family members try to find lost family members underneath piles and piles of rubble. And so the longer the time went by, and when it's just 
body after body, dead body after dead body. Can you imagine the horror of it? 37 hours after the earthquake, there was just this human interest story that lifted the nation a little because they found somebody alive, a six-month-old little girl, deep under the rubble. You know what saved her? They uncovered her by uncovering the wrapped body of her mother who had shielded her child with her own body the best she could as all the rubble collapsed over her. And 37 hours after the fact, a sound was heard and a baby was saved. It's a devastating story, but the picture of being saved is what I want us to hold on to because much in the same way that that infant was saved that day, Jesus wrapped his arms around us even though they were nailed to a cross. He wrapped his arms around us and shielded us with his body, taking within himself the cataclysmic judgment of God that we deserved and saved us so that when the rubble was removed, we could then recognize what had taken place. And so it's that saving that we want to talk about today. What does it mean to be saved? And what does that mean for us? No matter where you are on the spectrum of seeking God, whether you've ever accepted that reality or you don't know about that reality or you are seeking that reality. What does that mean for us? It, that's the topic for today. The word saved occurs well over 100 times in the New Testament alone, and that's according to a Jim Quick count. And, and it doesn't include what I'm about to show you, the first use of the the word saved that's built into a name. So at the very beginning, the first use of the word in Matthew takes place around that story when Mary was visited by an angel and told about events that were gonna take place and she said, what? How could that be? I'm a virgin. That, how am I gonna have a baby? And then she begins to try to explain to her fiance what took place and he says, what? and is not sure he can believe this wild story. And we read what God did in his mercy to assure Joseph, and here's what we read in Matthew 1.20. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is, I'm going to put the emphasis there, is from the Holy Spirit because that is not what he was thinking. And you wouldn't have been either if you were in his shoes. Yeah, right. But he was convinced because it, God revealed it to him as well. Now, it's the next verse that I'm going to focus on because it's the introduction of the word for the first time in the New Testament. Verse 21, she will Give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Just to remind you, the name Jesus means Yahweh save. Yesus, ye for Yahweh, 
Seuss for salvation, Yahweh saves is the name they were to give that child. But that embedded word saves is not included in the over 100 times of the word taking place. Now we have the first use of the word all by itself. And you are to name him Jesus because he, Jesus, will save, will save his people from their sins. So here's Jesus, God to the rescue, Yahweh saves, Savior, Deliverer, but we need to ask ourselves, what exactly are we being saved from and what does that salvation look like and how do we know that we are saved? And that's what today is about. But I'm also connecting that word to, and what does this have to do with his presence? And we introduced the concept of what the Holy Spirit is in our life now as a result of this saving event. Something completely new has taken place. And we need to connect that word saved with his presence and understand what that means. Now, the counterpart to the word saved in the New Testament is the word lost. Now, you would think that you would go lost and found. Well, yes, to be saved means you've been found, but we need to talk about what that means because lost and saved are uh, pitted against each other over and over again. Now, so before I explain what lost means and what saved means, I'm just gonna put out the questions. Are you sure you're saved? Because that's a really, really important question. And if you're sure you saved, you're saved, you need to understand what does this word saved mean? That's a really, really important question. And if you're not sure, and you're not sure what it means, it's a really important thing to know what it means and know what it is that we're talking about. And that's why this is probably a very important uh, lesson to be cued into, regardless of where you are on the spectrum of what does it mean now for me to seek his presence in where I'm at? Very important question for us today. Why? Because to be lost means to be experiencing a separation from God and to be saved means to have that separation removed and we're gonna discover as we go that to be lost means this separation is a spiritual death and to be saved means it's a bringing back to life and resurrection as the separation between you and God are removed. Now, I've said a lot quick, and we're gonna go through it much more slowly as we kind of look at this piece and see how could it be so, because we're talking about what Jesus says as eternal states, eventually. Right now, there's still time to get off of the lost track and get on the saved track. And while you're on the saved track, you may have lost your way. It's time to get back on the saved track and not be lost on the saved track and be wandering around. And we've gotta make sure we understand what all of this is about. It's a matter of life and death, and from Jesus' perspective, that doesn't mean life and then you die. It means eternal life or eternal death because when you die, you are not just out of existence, no more pain because you're gone, which is a worldview today. But I do not accept that worldview because I believe that Jesus has evidence 
that goes with his revelation. We would not know these things except by special revelation. Why should I believe your special revelation? Because it comes with the evidence. It includes eyewitness evidence to his teaching that comes with power and miracles and eyewitness evidence to his death. And then you have eyewitness evidence to his resurrection. Frankly, it's so overwhelming to me that I'm gonna believe this guy who predicts his own death and rises from the dead has the best worldview his worldview is correct and I believe his worldview his worldview says that when you're talking about being lost it's going to eventually be an eternal loss where you're not out of existence but lost out of God's presence forever and if you're saved you're brought together into God's presence from the moment you're saved while you're living on earth and forever And so if Jesus describes this to be true, from my perspective, there's a lot of weight to consider in the evidence that's set before us. It's a matter of life and death. So let's begin with point number one. Lost means death from the inside out. Lost means death from the inside out. Out. We're going to begin with a summary statement from the Apostle Paul where in one line he summarizes the entire special revelation in print that we have. The Old Testament and the New Testament summarized in one sentence. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So if you're not in Christ, you will not be made alive. You will die in Adam. We will all die in Adam unless Christ returns first. We will all die in Adam, but in Christ we will all be made alive. That's a subset, all who are in Christ. That's Paul's summary statement. So he's describing Jesus as coming from heaven to earth as the new Adam, so we need to understand what was going on with the failure of Adam that Jesus has to come and reverse the curse that was the result of the failure of Adam. That's why Jesus came, to reverse that curse as a result of the failure of Adam, the first human being. So we jump back to the beginning. And I'm absolutely amazed at the word of God. And the more I read, the more I'm just amazed at every little seed that's just in seed form is full blown when you know the whole of scripture. But when you're first reading, it's like, whoa, I didn't even see that before because I haven't read the rest of it. But when you read the rest of it and you see it, it's like, I can't believe it's all right there, right in Genesis. And so I want to share with you some of the mind-blowing, exciting things that are found in Genesis In Genesis 2, 16 through 17, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, let me just be flippant with you for a second. It's like, you can, you only have one rule. You can eat from any tree. I can see Eve going, Adam, what do you want for dinner? Adam says, I don't care. Yeah, but I'm not sure what God's will is. I'm not sure whether we should eat from this tree or that tree. I I think it's all good. We can eat from either tree. 
And Eve goes, I know, but I know, I want to know the will of God. Which tree specifically? That's, a, that's a, just a ridiculous notion because everything was freedom. There was only one out of bounds. Just don't eat from that tree. There just needed to be one rule to set up a test for the heart. And they failed one rule. But the oddity is, as you're reading, and how they failed in this one rule, it sounds like they didn't die that day. When God says, in the day that you eat from this tree, you will certainly die, but then we read, here's how the temptation goes, and you wonder, was God right, or was, was uh, the serpent, who we later learn is Satan himself, tempting them, and he's saying, no, you will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And then you keep reading in Genesis 3 and it's like they don't die. And in fact, they're hiding because now they know the difference between good and evil. So you ask yourself, who is right? Was Satan right and God wrong? And let me just assure you, God was absolutely right and Satan is such a deceiver. So I want to just help you see that they did, in fact, die that day. That death occurred on the inside, and it moved to the outside rapidly. But that very day, they died on the inside. I want to share with you how that is there. I, I'm not going to have this on the screen because it was a late edition. Uh, you might want to look up Genesis 3 or just listen. Uh, verses 8 through 10, I'm reading. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, walk, the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, you need to understand something, that something changed inside and they knew it. Nothing changed on the outside. They were naked before this event. They were naked right after the event. But on the inside, something changed. They had never hidden from God before. They had always enjoyed God. God was like this amazing, magnetic, wonderful being that was always, they were like, let's just picture them like children, drawn to him, running to him, being with him, enjoying his pleasure and his company and interacting in a way that none of us have ever interacted with God. They could see him, they could talk to him, they could walk with him, they could be with him. What we don't often picture and see when we're reading this is it was built into them to have this intimacy and, and a sense of nearness and, and they were designed in the image of God which includes a spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection of who they were with God himself. When I say spirit to spirit, human spirit to Holy Spirit connection with who they were and God himself. And that, though they couldn't articulate it, was suddenly lights out. And with lights out, they knew everything changed. 
And for the first time, they felt fear. And for the first time, their source of fear was what was before the very source of comfort and security and protection and who was the most awesome being that was the source of comfort, security, and protection was now some fear they hid. And God, in his mercy, asks them a question, where are you? Not because God doesn't know where they are, They don't know what's happening and why they're hiding. And the best they can do with explaining it is shame because we're naked. You were naked before. But something broke inside as God in his holiness moved out. We know from Scripture in the New Testament, God has no fellowship with darkness. And now they've embraced darkness. How did they know the difference between good and evil? Instead of judging it, they ate it and took it in and became darkness themselves. And in the darkness they became, light vacated. And everything inside changed to where this internal nakedness is before God. I want you to remember when you were a child. If you had a great childhood with a great set of parents, your parents shielded you, embraced you, protected you, and you had no fear in your life. If you had a great childhood, you were so covered in protection, they didn't put before you the wicked news. Parents, listen. And expose their children to the horrors of life creating anxiety within them. Good parents don't do that to their children. And there's just this happy-go-lucky, everything is great, everything is play, everything is wonder, and your parents are the source of security, a deep-settled security. There's like this warm blanket of peace surrounding you in God-ordained family. That's Adam and Eve's experience previous to their sin. As soon as they sin from the inside out, blanket removed, shield removed, peace is gone, everything changed, and they did it. Lights out. I could just keep on going, and it's like, I keep wanting to go down rabbit trails this week. I just, you know that strange verse that Jesus talks about, if the lights are out within you, great is that darkness, talking about the lamp of the eyes. When the lamp of the eyes go dark, your whole worldview is dark. If your whole worldview is dark, the same event will come to you that comes to me, and you see in it just dread and fear, and, and God obviously abandoned me, and God doesn't like me, or I don't think there's a God. I look at the same event, and God, I'm so glad you're here. My worldview lights on. Everything is light. Everything is secure. He's got me. He loves me. I'm okay. Eternally secure. Worldview, lights on, light of the world, versus everything's terrible, there can't be a God. It's all worldview. That's why having the worldview of Jesus is so super critical. And where do you get worldview? Devote daily, it's life, 
its light. Let it fill your mind and transform you from the inside instead of devote daily. Where are you receiving your worldview? Right? That's a freebie. It wasn't in my notes, and we're going to get lost, and we're going to be in trouble. Uh, Genesis 3.24. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the Tree of Life. Just in case you don't know what the cherubim are, okay, that's plural. You've heard the word cherub, little cherub, little angel. Cherubs are not little, (laughs) okay? Cherubs are mighty. And these cherub, plural, cherubim, are now guarding with swords. Now, rather than view that particular statement as judgment, I view that as mercy. Now, in your state of fallenness, you can't partake of the tree of life and be in this state forever. I'm now mercifully setting up my plan to rescue you so that you won't take up the tree of life and live in this eternal state of spiritual deadness separated from me. I'm mercifully protecting you from that. And so frequency has changed. You can't even get into and access heaven on earth in Eden. You're not gonna have access now to that eternal life. Everything changes. We don't even see angels and demons with our physical eyes anymore. We can't even see God with our physical eyes anymore while he institutes a life change plan. Mercy. And yet it is a judgment. On a quote on the screen, on the day they sinned, they died spiritually. God had moved out and they were banished from his presence and the tree of life. So there's a judgment, but it's merciful as he sets up the remedy and begins even the remedy with Adam and Eve. What is spiritual death? Spiritual death is when God moves out and everything changes in your worldview. Everything changes in terms of you are dead to spiritual things. You are dead to understanding God. Everything is all self-centered and you rule your own life. You don't have a spirit that's alive to even discern revelation, discern God, understand his word. You're dead. You need the spirit of God to bring life to you, to bring understanding to you, to be able to read and get what he's doing, that your worldview shifts without his spirit, you will continue to be blind. You will just run your own life, make the best you can in a harsh, cruel world, and you create your worldview to cope. But with the spirit of God, there's hope. Did you know that Jesus refers to lost people as the walking dead? Sounds like a horror movie, and it's worse than a horror movie. And we're all living it until we're saved. Jesus, in Luke 9, 59, we read, Then he said to another, Follow me, Lord. Oh, sorry, I I forgot the period. Then he said to another, Follow me, Lord, he said. First... (laughs) Let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. He's using the definition of death in two different ways right there. 
let the spiritually dead who are still alive and walking bury the physically dead. You leave that a point aside. Right now I'm calling you. You have a decision to make. Are you going to take this step or not? Let the dead bury the dead. You, right now, here's your challenge. Are you going to follow me? What is physical death? Physical death is when our human spirit, our soul, the immaterial part of us, vacates our body. The question is, where does it vacate to? The lost, it'll be vacated in one direction. The saved will be vacated in this way that Paul describes. Before I describe it, let me just um, share some bittersweet news. Maybe some of you already heard it. Maybe you know her, maybe you don't. Don Paleo, a member here, 50 years old, at five in the morning on Wednesday, her soul spirit left her body to go home because she's saved. And she went to be with Jesus. Depending on your worldview, you see that it was incredible darkness and sadness, but that was not her worldview. Her worldview was she was ready and she wants to see Jesus. The travel was a little um, unknown to her. What's that like? What do I have to go through? That makes me nervous, to be honest, she said. I said, it's, it's a little bit like the practice you, you've been practicing now every day of your life where you trust enough to drift off to sleep. And then you wake up, well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's what Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians 5.8, in fact, we are confident and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul said, I would actually prefer that I could be away from my body and at home with the Lord. And I could say a lot about that, but we just need to move on. The question is, Don Paleo was saved by Jesus, are you? Point number two, saved means life from the inside out. Life from the inside out. God moved back in. And here's how that was made possible. In Romans 8, 11, we read, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Sometimes those kinds of sentences are lost to people. They're not sure how to even put that in the categories of their mind to think it through. Here's a quote that I'm going to offer. Salvation is not merely about getting people from earth into heaven. It is also about getting God out of heaven and back into people. This is an adaptation of Adrian Rogers' quote in the Power of His Presence book. The only adaptation I made is he, he used the typical uh, way of talk, talking from King James. Salvation is not merely about getting man from earth to heaven. It is also about getting God out of heaven and back into man. But women, this is people. All of us. Jesus came for this. 
I started with the illustration of the salvation of the child. Jesus came knowing that's what he came to do. I know it looks like he can't hug us, but I tell you what, Jesus is the body that was pierced and hung, unable to move, but with every word and with the power of God, while he's receiving the punishment of every brick and mortar sin of your life, beaten him down to the point of death where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me taking the punishment that you deserve? God himself is in his love for God so loved the world he sent his son for this reason. It's God embracing you and taking into his own son blow after blow after blow and the spirit of God is just watching the whole scene, amazed by it all, waiting for the privilege to see the effects of the cross released at the epicenter of power on that day to release forgiveness because Jesus judges our sin, accepts the judgment of our sin, pummeled until all breath leaves his life. But because he is righteous, the Spirit of God raises him from the dead. And because of the event of the cross, remember the cross first, Pentecost after, because of the event of the cross, we are forgiven by the power of the shed blood of Jesus, washed clean by what he has done. He says, Father, forgive them and releases forgiveness as he becomes our atoning sacrifice. It's only because of the cross now that the Spirit of God can now indwell a house that was formerly darkness. Because it's been washed clean, God who has no fellowship with darkness takes up residence inside of us through his Holy Spirit because of the work of the cross. So if you picture this earthquake scene the rubble is finally removed I've just revealed to you as the rubble is finally removed this is what Jesus has done for you the difference between that six-month-old child and you is you are consciously aware of what has taken place God has embraced you held you through the judgment and took it upon himself now it is up to you to accept his gift or reject it he doesn't save everyone by default, he says, you have to choose. I've done this for you. Will you be mine? Will you be mine? I'm happy to allow this judgment to be something I've taken for you. But if you reject this judgment of the cross as for you, there's another judgment coming. And that other judgment coming will come after you die. Unless you live until my return when I come not just in humility but in glory. There's a judgment that you'll have to face if you don't accept this gift of the judgment that I took on in your place. But if you believe what I've said, believe what I've done, and demonstrated with miracle, with power, with teaching, and with evidence before you that I have conquered the grave you can conquer the grave too. By the same spirit that rose me, the spirit of God will enter into you and by the effects of what I have set loose 
across all of creation, you can enter into the reality of that life and that resurrection. And that resurrection begins while you're still alive. This moment, you say yes. Life will flood into your body. Life will flood into your soul. And you'll begin to experience a whole new worldview. Lights on. God is good. Everything is beautiful. Except for sin. God, I want to join you in helping others see this too. Would you join him too? Father, we thank you for the power of the cross, for your saving message, for saving us. Each one of us at different places, some have already prayed and asked you to be Savior. Others have never really officially entered in. Or it's kind of vague. May this be the day where decisions are made by each of us and steps are taken to seek your presence continually. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Leaders of ministries, if you are available today, I would love to have you help me at the left of the stage to be praying for anybody who would like to receive prayer today. Some of you, God is urging you to take a step, ask for prayer. It could be about anything. I don't know what that step is for you, and we'd be happy to pray with you. And I hope to see you back, because next week we're going to talk about what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And if you're not filled as a believer, how do you get filled again? And all those kinds of questions. God bless you. We'll see you next week.